0: It's a solid price It comes with my bones Now all the politicians They just squawk their mouths They said we'll build a wall To keep them out Now the poets were dying Of a silence disease It's a solid price, it comes with my
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today, it's November. Nope, it's December. December 4th, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in. (sighs) We are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco, and we're on the ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone peoples. And we have a land acknowledgement page up on our website if you go to weeklyrev.org there's a list of websites that folks can visit places to donate and a lot more information and we'll be adding more links as we go so please do check that out (sighs) start off the show with some music as we usually do and collected some some songs I've been meaning to play for a while now so on days like today when I didn't have a lot of energy to get everything organized, just go right to this playlist, and I was happy to share these tunes. First was Lovers in a Dangerous Time by Bruce Cockburn, then Hooray for the Riff Raff with Reek and Beach, and then the last song was a band called War on Drugs with a song called Pain. <sighs> Feeling pretty worn out today, for sure. Um, I try not to talk too much about my personal life here, but uh, it's important, I guess, to share. And uh, my partner's mother passed away of COVID, uh, last Sunday. So that's been on my mind a lot and been grieving and feeling lots of sadness and anger at all of these preventable deaths and the people in positions of power who have let it happen and on top of that they have been able to receive the top care and medication while others do not and just just it's difficult not to just feel enraged. I was already enraged, you know, previously, of course. And just seeing how this, the ripple effects and how every day at least 2,000 people in the United States alone are dying of COVID and how many people that's affecting. And and just, it's so, it's disgusting. I don't even have the the words for it. And it feels like... Nothing I can say really is feels like well suited enough for the gravity of the situation. And also I'd rather say something than nothing at all. And I'm just thinking about how many preventable deaths there are and have been in this country. And it seems like it's a recurring theme here in the United States. I used to think the United States should change its name instead of being the United States of America should be like the United States of victim blaming. Cause I feel like that's really in the the ethos here. And, um, and then I think maybe, maybe it should be called uh, the United States of Preventable Deaths because I think of all the folks who die every year because they don't have health care, because they don't have housing, because their wages are so low they can't afford to keep their, themselves and their families alive. I think the folks who are killed in prison, I think of folks who are killed by police. People who should be alive right now and are not. People who are sent off to wars to kill and be killed. Folks who take their own lives. People who are killed by Right wing terrorists, people who don't have clean drinking water, or live in a place that's uh, environmentally polluted, so they don't have clean air, for instance, or there's a high risk of cancer. As corporations just want to keep on making money, and we're seeing it now more than ever. <sighs> as long as the quote-unquote economy keeps going, it doesn't matter how many people die. And that's always been the case, but it's even more apparent now, and it's just so fucking awful. <sighs> Taking some breaks here, it's it's a lot, and I do have the ability to be here, and that's why I come here every Friday is to share the truth of what's happening because there is so much misinformation, deliberate misinformation. There's so much propaganda, so many news outlets that decide to just uh, quote police, for instance, without questioning them. Listen to the PR of corporations, even though they're poisoning the planet. Listen to politicians who, I don't think I need to name any names, but we all know, there's so many of them, I wouldn't even have the time to name all of them. People who say that they're for the people and then end up telling the people to be quiet and not to want to live a life free of fear and pain and violence. How dare we? How dare we? We should just listen, right? Listen to all these politicians, people in positions of power. Thankfully, more and more folks are not doing that anymore, which is good. (sighs) Taking uh, some deep breaths here. That's one way to move forward. We do have some news articles, and didn't prepare as much as usual, um, but definitely do have some information to share with you all today. So we'll be getting to that. And thought I would start off with something um, of the uplifting note, which might seem counterintuitive, however, I think it's super crucial just to recognize what's happening around the world. And also a reminder that there are movements that are constantly happening and actions that are happening that a lot of us don't know about. Uh, We have to seek them out and or hear about them from other people because mainstream media, you know, news outlets, they don't they don't want to remind us that when we come together, we can we can push back and win rights. Like in France, for instance, they were trying to pass this stupid fucking bill. I'll summarize best I can. That was going to make it illegal to record police looking bad, which I guess is I mean, how can you not do that? Just like hold up a camera and be like, oh, wow, you're getting paid to oppress people. They Don't even have to do anything. Just be like, this is this exists. And I mean, here in the states, with the the funding they get, while schools are closing and public transit's closing and people can't get ho- housing and healthcare, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, people in France went, they rioted, as they often do, and the government in France was like, okay, let's let's take a step back. Maybe we, we won't do this. We won't do this. So that was that was positive. Again, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. You know, it's like this thing where, where if ever it's, <sighs> people are doing everything they can simply just to stay alive, and often they, it's a victim blaming thing, pointing the finger. Oh, how dare you! How dare you riot because you're trying to stand up against an authoritarian regime? How dare you? Anyway, some positive news. Uh, this is from People's Dispatch, and I think it's also. Uh, one has to find outlets that are going to provide i'd say unbiased to the best of one's ability or at least not a pro-authoritarian standpoint i think that can be difficult so i did find this this is from a site called people's dispatch there's a fist in the air um so and the uh photo has farmers from india with uh the red flags with the hammers and the sickle so I'm going to assume that this is a a story that uh, has some compassion for workers. 250 million people participate in countrywide strike in India. This is written by, it just says, People's Dispatch here. It came out on November 27th, 2020. Despite police repression and the COVID-19 pandemic, workers and farmers and their allies across India participated in the pan-India strike action against the recent neoliberal reforms pushed through by the Narendra Modi government on Thursday, November 26th, India witnessed the biggest organized strike in human history. How is this not like bigger news? I mean, I know why, but like, let's get it out there. Good news. Over 250 million workers and farmers. Along with their allies, among students, feminists, and civil society groups participated in the nationwide strike. The strike coincides with India's Constitution Day, which commemorates the adoption of the Constitution in 1949 and comes in the background of an unprecedented attack on workers' rights and farmers' protections by the right-wing government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi. The protests by farmers in states around Delhi continued late into the night on Thursday and early Friday. Thousands of farmers have broken blockade after blockade and are marching to the city. The police have used water cannons on them repeatedly but have failed to break their spirit. They are expected to reach the borders of Delhi on Friday, which would have been uh, last Friday. The strike was organized by a coalition of workers and farmers movements with 10 national trade confederations and the umbrella group. All India Kisan Sangharsh Farmer Struggle Coordination Committee AIKSCC that consists over uh, of over 200 farmers groups across India women's rights groups student unions and various civil society organizations also participated in the strike the strike also received support from left parties and several opposition groups some of the key demands contained in the 12 point charter put forward by the organizers include withdrawal of a series of laws recently passed by the Modi government repealing key labor and farm price protections, a rollback in the recent disinvestment policies in major government-owned enterprises, implementation of existing welfare schemes for rural workers, and expanding welfare policies to aid the masses affected by the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. And they have another photo here. That's got barricades in the middle. There's water cannons. Uh, The water from the water cannons is like going over, and there's just a lot of people on the ground. It's an overhead shot. Thousands of farmers, along with members of trade union groups and other movements from across India, also led a rally to the national capital of Delhi. The rally was met with fierce repression from the Delhi police, who made use of a blockade, baton charges, and water cannons to stop the march. Eventually, the blockade was breached. In similar confrontation with the authorities, workers and farmers groups brought major metropolitan cities like Calcutta and Mumbai to a standstill with sit-ins organized on key transport routes. The industrial and mining belt across East and Central India also witnessed a virtual shutdown. Organizers have stated that the strike is a build-up to more upcoming struggles in the country. The workers and peasants will not rest till the disastrous and disruptive policies of the BJP government are reversed. The strike... Today is only a beginning. Much more intense struggles will follow, said Tepan Sen, General Secretary of Center of Indian Trade Unions, CITU, one of the trade union confederations participating in the strike. The strike comes at a time when the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic has pushed India into a veritable recession, exacerbating existing inequalities and deprivation. India's gross domestic product, GDP, has declined by a record 23.9%, while unemployment has soared to an unprecedented 27%. Amidst such an all-around crisis, the right-wing government, led by the Bharatiya Janata Party, has implemented new amendments to labor codes and introduced farm bills that have reversed major historical progresses made in workers' rights and farm protections. And the, they, then they should feature a photo. There's a person speaking and the caption, lots of folks uh, sitting and listening. Uh, despite police attempts to suppress the strike in several massive rallies in several uh, several cities, uh, massive rallies were held across the country. Members of the Health Employees Union, along with workers of Jwar, Jwarul, uh Nehru Port, a major port of India's commercial capital, Mumbai, celebra- participate in a strike. And the next photo is a group of people marching, and the uh, caption is, Trade unionists blockaded a national highway. The National Highway 31, a major roadway that connects the city of Kolkata in the state of West Bengal. And next there's another photo, folks with flags, many folks standing wearing masks. Blockade of key railway lines was also witnessed in major cities across India. Pictured here is a blockade in Kolkata. Then there's another photo of folks with signs uh, refineries in Assam, the northeastern state rich in oil and natural gas reserve were shut down by the strike. And next, another photo of many people. Police in the state of Haryana detained participants of the protest rally on their way to the national capital, Delhi. Delhi's two neighboring states of Haryana and Uttar Pradesh coordinated attempts with the Delhi police to prevent protesters from entering the capital. And then next there is a blockade, looks like some police, Uh, Delhi police blockade at the Haryana Delhi border is the caption. And then there's a couple more photos here of folks protesting, people wearing masks, Uh, lots of people. And then another caption from one of the photos. In the meanwhile, the protesting farmers held counter blockades in Uttar Pradesh on routes leading to Delhi. Another photo with more protesters, workers protest in Noida. Uh, satellite city of Delhi or Noida and then wow another photo of a march lots of people massive protests were also held in southern states pictured here is a protest rally held in the state of Telangana and another photo textile workers in the city of Kolm in Tamil Nadu lots of folks and some more uh, pictures as well uh, a joint platform of central trade unions independent federation and associations one day nationwide strike is the banner that they're holding and another photo of workers here and the caption is protests were also held across Jammu and Kashmir which has been under a virtual government imposed lockdown for over a year and repressive government policies have made mobilizing extremely difficult so sending lots of love and solidarity out to all these folks protesting and again, if you'd like to check out the article, if you go to peoplesdispatch.org, and I'll be um, coming back to this website. It looks like a really good resource. And we'll also be sharing the link to this article on our webpage, which you can find at weeklyrev.org. All right. Um, I've, I've lifted myself out of a temporary funk here, and um, that's just, it's so inspiring to, to see this. So I'm going to play some more music. Hopefully it won't be too depressing uh, hmm, this looks like kind of a depressing list. We'll see. And, uh, (laughs) and then we'll be back, uh, with some more news in a little bit. Please do stay tuned.
2: The sharpest cat in town Jungle Can't be no fool Might get caught by the hook of a crook Hard time for cool Look out, Jake, what you say What you carrying, brother Yeah. Your feet in the sand Got to be down with the cats ever round in stone.
3: Take me long just to find you, and it won't take me long just to find you. I'm to the winter.
4: But don't you get
3: clever? Don't you get smile you all till I show
1: back to weekly review that was the decemberist with severed before that lydia liza with won't even be And before that aaron neville with hercules (sighs) all right what is next on the agenda how about we uh one one thing folks can do is help nyc drivers launch a platform cooperative now here uh of course i felt don't even know how to say my or vent my anger at uber and lyft and a lot of these rideshare and uh, other companies that have mistreated their workers and continue to and then also with the unfortunate passing of prop 22 uh that will really there will be a big blow to worker rights so Taking a deep breath there. I'm not going to get into it at this moment. However, uh, it's important to support folks who are creating alternatives. One alternative that's already out is uh, mobiles. So please do find home mobiles if you are in the Bay Area. Um, and this is from uh, New York City. We are a New York City for hire drivers. We are starting our own driver-owned rideshare platform, driver-owned. Your donation pays for unemployed and underemployed drivers to recruit and train fellow drivers for the cooperative. And we'll post a link on our webpage. They are, uh, so far they've gotten up to a little over $11,000, which is great. It's located in the Bronx. I'll read a little bit about the project here. In New York City, Uber and Lyft run the exploited labor of a 91% immigrant workforce of eight, 85,000 drivers. Through misclassification of drivers as independent contractors, the corporate rideshare platforms seek to turn back the clock on a century of labor and social movement gains and push drivers into poverty by externalizing all vehicle costs onto drivers and taking extortionate commissions on each ride. Even before the crisis, over 70% of drivers had less than $1,000 in savings, a reflection of New York City's deep racial wealth gap and the predatory structure of the rideshare platform economy. Drivers and their allies have organized for change with strikes, protests, boycotts, lawsuits, and legislation, but Uber and Lyft always find loopholes to keep exploiting drivers. Most recently, the largest gig platform spent over $200 million to pass Prop 22 in California, which legalized a sub-minimum wage. Now the pandemic has pushed tens of thousands of drivers out of work. The industry is still down by nearly 40%. We're asking for your help to build back better with a new strategy, launching a driver-owned alternative to Uber and Lyft. The Drivers Cooperative is poised to launch the first platform cooperative rideshare app in New York City within a month, pending funding for a membership drive. The Drivers Cooperative will, one, immediately boost driver income by returning profits to drivers and establish basic employment rights for workers in the sector. Two, provide a second chance to drivers who are deactivated by Uber and Lyft without due process based on specious and often racially, based, uh, racially biased customer complaints. Three, save drivers money through a credit union partnership that allows drivers to escape predatory vehicle financing. And four, long-term fight for a just green transition to electric vehicles through a Green New Deal for the for hire vehicle industry and they have a link where uh interested drivers can register the steps accomplishments to date one or just bullet point uh elected a board of drivers to guide the project representing the diversity of the for hire vehicle industry they have assembled a skilled team of labor organizers idg um, machinists union iww ride hailing operators from uber and juno full stack engineers branding experts and designers fleet managers and drivers They've also confirmed pilot with Cooperative Home Care Associates, the largest worker co-op in the US to provide transportation for home care workers to clients' homes. That's pretty awesome. I used to be a home care worker, so definitely appreciate that. Uh, one, They've won grant funding from Emergent Fund and the Workers Lab. They have completed paid trips paid for by AOC to get early voters to the polls. They have purchased ride-hailing app code and completed customizations for NYC Launch. They've engaged more than 1,000 for-hire vehicle drivers with more than 100 vehicles, and their goals for quarter one is to be on board with 3,000-plus drivers, raise full seed sound. Excuse me. I'm reading things way too quickly right now raise full seed round uh launch consumer ride hailing service why we're we doing it funds raised in this campaign will go directly to four hire vehicle drivers to recruit and train new members of the cooperative we already have a completed app but we need these funds to pay unemployed and underemployed drivers to recruit and train fellow drivers to build the strength and power of the cooperative the cooperative will be launching on uh our own ride-hailing platform, shown below, it will be in the App and Play Store, available to use in early 2021. With the Drivers Cooperative, riders pay less and drivers make more. Because the co-op only takes the amount required to cover its costs compared to corporate ride-hailing platforms take, that take 25 to 40% commissions on each trip so they can return profits to their Wall Street and Silicon Valley investors, speculators. The Drivers Cooperative, TDC, is not just another ride-hailing platform, it's also about using our collective bargaining power to get great deals and lower operating costs for our struggling members. The biggest benefit will be that Drivers will fully own this cooperative company. Member owners will elect the board of directors and share in the profits, giving power and voice directly to the people who move New York. And they have a quote here from um, Juan Shannon says, a lot of people that are around us believe in what's going on, but they don't have a large amount of money to, to just put in. Crowdfunding with IOB, which is I-O-B-Y, uh, was a way to share in that moment. So again, this was a quote from uh, Juan Shannon uh, from Solidarity and Highland Park, uh, Michigan. And so this link is on iob.org. We'll provide the link as well. Help NYC drivers launch a platform cooperative. Very cool. and And also... Um, even if you're not in New York, I like the idea of this is that when, when folks like this get together and create their own service, then it's up, it's puts out the possibility that others can do the same. It's inspiring. It's contagious in a good way. That's what I meant to say. All right. Moving along. Oh, goodness. I'm going to, uh, <laughs> let me take a breath before I leave, read the other one. Uh, Uh, here's some other positive news Uh, Haymarket Books which is a great organization they publish books and they have a lot of teach-ins they are having a day-long teach-in an online teach-in next um, Saturday December 12th yes from 1pm to 7pm called People Get Ready online teach-in Haymarket Books will also provide a link here on our website join the Center for Political Education and Haymarket Books for a conversation on beating the right strengthening the left and building power and they have an online teaching. I'm gonna tweet this right now. So put out the word. Uh, I'm gonna add some information here, and also Center for Political Education is a great organization that folks can support. And also they have a mailing list, and they have a lot of great events. So please do uh, support them. And I am lost in all of the tabs that I have open. Where did I go? Where did it go? Uh, Wow, this is something. All right, let's get back to what we were reading about. Here we go. Okay, so this is happening Saturday, December 12th from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, 6 p.m. to 12 a.m. Mountain Time. Uh, Or, excuse me, Greenwich Mean Time. Hello, Greenwich Mean Time, 6 p.m. to 12 a.m. In the face of violent authoritarianism, deepening economic crisis, and a deadly pandemic, left and progressive movements have doubled down in defense of our people. Over the past two years, the global left has built powerful coalitions engaged in electoral experiments and steadily reshaped the political terrain. What kind of power has been built through these efforts, however, and how do we pivot from defense to offense in the years ahead? Join the Center for Political Education and Haymarket Books for a half-day symposium on Saturday, December 12th from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time for a conversation on beating the right, strengthening the left and charting a path to power. You can register through Eventbrite to receive a link for the video conference sessions the day before the event. The this event will also be recorded and ooh and will have live captions, ASL interpretation and Spanish interpretation available. Sessions and speakers. Opening uh, plenary Featuring Alicia Garza with a special performance by Kiwi Elefante. Uh, Session one, what's left? Building power after the elections. Speakers include Ashley Woodard Henderson, Justin Charles, Ali Vargas, and Azira Stixon. Session two, if the kids are united, building power against the far right with Tarso Ramos. And session three, build it on up. Tools for the fight. Speakers include the Red Nation, Marisol Ocampo of Left Roots, and Sabiha Basrae of Design Action Collective. More speakers coming soon. While this event is freely available, we ask that those who are able make a solidarity donation in support of this event programming and organizing work. Okay. So um, I'll be sharing a link uh, when I'm not talking on the air uh, on our webpage. You can also find it directly by going to haymarketbooks.org. Cool. That's awesome. And very much something to look forward to. Very cool. All right, next up, uh, there is a um, an open letter to Gavin Newsom, Hold Police Accountable and Investigate the Police Killing of Sean Monterosa. And this is written by Maggie Harrison, and this comes from El Tecalote, which folks can find at eltecolote.org, and we'll also share a link to this article on our website. Dear Governor Gavin Newsom, I've been writing this letter since the pre dawn hours of October 3rd alone in a Sacramento County jail cell, disappointed, exhausted, but driven to reach you. I could not rest, not then, in the hours before dawn, locked in a filthy cell wearing orange stripes and jail issue underwear, and not now, nearly two months later, with justice so distant. I see with clarity what is so easy for you and our state to do to jail and criminalize the family of Sean Monterosa who speak out in nonviolent protest who has waited now nearly six months for accountability for the state-sanctioned murder of their brother, child, grandchild. They have seen none. Imagine raising a child, witnessing him come to language, laugh, learn to read, fix things, love, work, question, grow into a 22-year-old with potential, with a future, with a role to play in your family, in his school, in his community, and then a tragedy. A police officer misjudges him as a threat. This police officer, who has fired his weapon on four occasions in the last five years, shoots from the back seat of a moving police truck, firing five times through the windshield. That officer serves in a department with a history of brutality, using their firearms to kill 19 people since 2010. In this Bay Area city, some officers ritualistically mark their kills, bending the points of their star-shaped badges as a sign of honor. City officials learned of this gruesome tradition and looked away. If this were your child... What would you do? Sean Monterosa was unarmed, kneeling, hands raised in surrender when Vallejo police officer Jarrett Ton shot and killed him with his semi-automatic assault rifle. The windshield was evidence, and the police union president, Lieutenant Michael Nischelini, is on paid leave for his involvement in its destruction. Solano County DA Krishna Abrams recused herself from Rosa's case. California Attorney General Xavier Becerra declined to investigate. No criminal investigation is currently underway. Governor Newsom, you have expressed neither outrage nor concern, even after Sean's older and younger sisters and 15 other nonviolent protesters engaged in, a, in the good trouble of an orderly civil disobedience near your home on the four-month anniversary of Sean's death. When asked about the case by a reporter, you noted that you'd asked his staff to take a much more detailed look. At his case, claiming, we'll have more to say hopefully very shortly. After the five-month anniversary, when asked again if you would meet with the family, you said, I'm open to that, but let me get the facts. On the investigation. Since then, a detailed investigative report, how a deadly police force ruined a city, has been published in the New Yorker. The facts are available. It's time for empathy and action. Governor, meet with the Rosa family, his 99-year-old grandmother, his immigrant parents, and his inspiring first-generation sisters who represent our future. Hear them. Guided by their call for justice, leaders in our state can help reckon with the inhumanity that runs deep in policing nationwide. In the wake of George Floyd's state-sponsored lynching, Sean saw that inhumanity. Sean's last communication to his sisters, less than an hour before he was shot, Were text messages asking them to sign a petition demanding justice for George Floyd. Governor Newsom, you claimed to see the inhumanity. You said, we should and we must condemn systemic racism in your speech on May 29th. You asked, all of us that want to express ourselves to do so thoughtfully and gently, but forcefully. The Monterosa sisters and the other 15 nonviolent protesters have complied with this request. You again condemned the legacy of injustice on September 30th, claiming, we are just getting started in this state in terms of efforts to improve oversight and accountability in law enforcement. As we approach the six-month mark since Sean Monterosa was killed, the Monterosa family and their growing numbers of supporters in California and beyond feel heightened urgency for accountability, drop the charges against the peaceful protesters, and launch a formal investigation of Vallejo PD for the murder of Sean Monterosa. On October 2nd, the Monterosa family and their supporters brought to the governor three clear, reasonable demands. California Attorney General must appoint a special prosecutor to investigate the case and Vallejo PD. Officer Jarrett Tan must be charged and prosecuted for the murder of Sean Monterosa. Officers involved in the shooting and destruction of evidence must be prosecuted criminally. Governor, you have resolved that California lead the nation. Now you face an opportunity to live up to this ambition. May the words you speak hold meaning. Whew. So again, this was um, written and published in El Tecalote. Folks can find it at eltecalote.org. And about the writer, Maggie Harrison is a San Francisco parent and community college instructor alongside Ashley and Michelle Monterosa and 14 other nonviolent protesters demanding accountability for the Vallejo police officer who les- lethally shot Sean Monterosa, as well as for those who obstructed the investigation. She was arrested on October 2nd, 2020. So we will uh, also share this article from L. Tecolote on our page, weeklyrev.org. All right, we're gonna take a bit of a break here and then we'll be back with some more news. Items, it's going to take a few moments to breathe, and yeah, it's a lot, it's definitely a lot.
5: back in a bit.
4: we you There's always a song.
6: It's just me.
7: free i'm half ashamed at least have staying my quietness call on me how many angels on the head of your pin anybody in stilettos can answer that old thing it's one for the right foot one for the left half an angel per pin at best add wings add heart add harp all set we lean to turn in the velodrome all lines are curved in the velodrome we picture more fashion phone total control and it's it's ours alone we lean to Sages Eve, they been eating in a makeshift dress. With-
1: Welcome back. Oh, I'm really enjoying playing some music today. Listening to some music. I'm not quite playing it. You know what I mean. That was Dessa with the Minnesota Orchestra with uh, Velodrome Live. Before that, we heard uh, Kurt Vile with Pretty Pimpin' and before that, LCD Sound System with Oh Baby. Got a few more articles, uh, pieces of information to share with you all. (sighs) Another deep breath. So much, so much going on. Next up, wanted to share an upcoming event that's happening tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. Saturday, December 5th, uh, 1130 a.m. at Middle Harbor Shoreline Park in Oakland, and that's located at 2777 Middle Harbor Road in Oakland, California. There's a California Kassan Solidarity car and truck rally. Hashtag farmer's protest. 12 p.m. Caravan leaves Park for Indian Consulate SF. Caravan returns for rally at Middle Harbor Shoreline at 2 p.m. Face masks are required. Gather at Shoreline Park, uh, then caravan to encircle the Indian Consulate at 12 p.m., returning back to the park for a rally at 2 p.m. For our latest news and updates, please text FARMER to 510-201-5665, and they have uh, no, WhatsApp, no WhatsApp message. So again, you can text FARMER to 510 201 5665. I've shared this on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at R O M A N R I M E R. And we'll also uh, share this on our webpage at weeklyrev.org. Oh, goodness. Got a few articles here that are just, oh, just a lot. (sighs) Next up, I'm going to read a call for Ivy Plus libraries to divest from police and prisons and invest in life giving resources. And this is from a site, um, Abla Ivy. I'm probably mispronouncing uh, this. Uh, but it's A B L A. The next word is Ivy plus. And you can find this at uh, Abla. Oh, I get it. Abla And again, we'll also share this all in one place, weeklyrev.org. will be up uh, later today. So this was written by the folks at Abla Ivy. Plus, or just Plus from October 27th. It says it's a 29 minute read. So, and right now it's 1.15. um, So yeah, I'll see how far we can go. There's also just lots more information to share. I might provide some headlines of other articles for folks to check out. Now is a time for libraries to divest from police. Um, Remember to imagine and craft the worlds you cannot live without, just as you dismantle the ones you cannot live within. That's a quote from Ruha Benjamin. In early June, in the wake of the murders of George Floyd in Minnesota, Ahmaud Aubrey in Georgia, and Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, library organizations and directors issued statements condemning racism and racial violence. A statement from the Association of Research Libraries implored that it is incumbent upon leaders of libraries and archives to examine our institution's role in sustaining systems of inequity that have left Black communities and other people of color in the margins of every aspect of our profession. From such statements meaningful actions have taken place in order to create positive change and we applaud and support these however we believe libraries have not gone far enough in this examination by refusing to fully consider our relationship with policing surveillance and the prison industrial complex these library statements do not explicitly name policing itself as the problem an expression and exacerbation of racial capitalism and violence despite it being a very real and dire existential threat to black indigenous and other people of color as well as those in the LGBTQIA community. Therefore, we find these statements morally and politically insufficient responses without naming the specific problem of policing. And these statements not only let libraries off the hook for the many ways in which we have internalized the practices of the carceral state in our profession, but also leave the door open for both sides' arguments or appeals to law and order and encourage dangerous and ineffective reforms. The solution to police violence is not reform, but an abolition of policing in all its forms. Therefore, we call on the leadership of our institutions and all of our colleagues to embrace an abolitionist vision of a hopeful, life-affirming future, and to immediately begin the work of divesting from police and prisons with the ultimate goal of the complete abolition of law enforcement and surveillance from library spaces, campuses, communities, in short, everywhere. Awesome. One, support existing student, staff, faculty, and community petitions and movements. I'm ooh, realizing I'm talking a lot more than usual on the show. So I'm going to just um, read the headlines here. or The, the headlines. The, the points. <laughs> oh, I'm, wow. Thank you. Um, and then I'm gonna take a break or go to some other articles here. Two, make transparent current police and police-like activities, um, in order to support calls for defending the police and for reinvesting in life-giving services. We first need transparency at all levels of our institutions around existing law enforcement budgets, investments, and activities. Next is three, and there's a lot more information there. Three, join, build, and sustain a world without policing. Many people will acknowledge the harm done by police and law enforcement but question the safety implications of defunding and divesting from policing on campus. But reporting from police forces show that law enforcement and surveillance do not keep campuses safe. Four, confront The connection between policing and anti-blackness, abolition of police and prisons is intimately tied to and inseparable from the movement for black lives. If, as our institutions have repeatedly and rightly stated, black lives matter, then our institutions need both to understand and dismantle the white supremacist practices that perpetuate and exacerbate anti-blackness in America. Therefore, we demand that any work related to diversity and inclusion center on abolitionist praxis that admits to and confronts the structural existence and effects of racial capitalism, and anti-black state-sponsored violence, both within and beyond our institutions. Policing in America was founded in slave patrols, settler colonial violence, and the protection of property, and these remain the ever-expanding and hyper-funded legacies and practices of so-called modern policing, which has shaped our schools, libraries, hospitals, and many other should-be-life-giving spaces and institutions without confronting this history and reality, without actively undoing white building and while building and funding permanent and sustainable futures based in abolitionist praxis and community cooperation, librarianship as a profession and our institutions will remain complicit in, the, in a culture of surveillance and violence against BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus lives. Five, divest library resources from police and invest in our communities. Six is ban surveillance technologies in library spaces. Seven, divest from companies that use prison labor. And conclusion, I'll read the conclusion. And again, there's much more information in this. I'm just um, doing my best to get to the major points they're making. Uh, Conclusion, we recognize that librarianship and overwhelmingly white profession has systematically marginalized BIPOC uh lgbtqia plus and librarians with disabilities the conceptualization of our demands would not be possible without the labor and leadership of these very librarians theorists activists and communities we also recognize the privilege and power held by Ivy Plus and other major research libraries and thus it is imperative that we use our privilege to speak out against library practices that cause harm we built from and stand in solidarity with abolitionist movements happening in all library spaces we believe in order to fully embody the ethics of librarianship, it is necessary to align with the practices and aims of abolition. We hope many more voices will join us in signing on to these demands and in this bold and beautiful work of dreaming, demanding, and being in a better world. Reckoning with our own histories of and complicity in white supremacy and anti black racism is the best interest not only of our institutions and patrons but our profession at large libraries are not neutral nor should they be silent but we've heard seen and spoken enough solidarity is not found in statements but in actions and the time to act is now and signed uh, rachel Lappel from penn allison clemens jim del rosso rihanna esmail becca greenstein toby hines josh Hahn, michelle janowicki amon Preet Carr, and k naffle Allison Saylor, Martha Tenney, Alex Whelan, and there's also a link for other folks to sign the petition as well. And you can also sign anonymously if you'd like, and then in solidarity with there's um, organizations from Columbia, Cornell, Harvard, Johns Hopkins, MIT, Northwestern, University of Chicago, Penn, Yale. And also provide a long list of abolition resources. So definitely be ah, sharing this on, on the webpage as well. That's a lot. Wanted to share a few other article headlines here, and then I think I'm just going to play some music for the rest of the show. Just feeling a bit tapped out. And again, this is really—it's uh, just there's a lot going on in the world. Then, as per usual, I will say that this is just a this is just one—it's not even a week's worth. This is just like a small drop in the bucket of what's happening. This is just news that has made it out that I have, you know, that other folks have shared that I have. Uh, been able to, to share with you all here and this is just a small um, piece of what's happening and I do find the the folks coming together and speaking out and organizing is so helpful. I also want to further recommend um, No Fascist USA by Hillary Moore and James Tracy. We uh, interviewed them back in March, which feels like a lifetime ago and I've been a bit behind on books. I sometimes read a few at a time and then sometimes I just don't have the Mental Capacity for some, and I finally finished that one, and it's really good. I highly recommend it. Go get it at uh, Green Arcade Books, and a lot of other places have it. So please do check out that book. And um, a few headlines here. One from Bay Area Reporter. They're a little bit on the not-progressive side. However, they did share an article, LGBTQ's Back SF Rent Reduction Campaign by by Matthew S. Bajko, and this came out on December 2nd. And so there's information about that as well. Uh, New coalition forms. A number of LGBTQ leaders are supporting Haney's legislation. That's for Matt Haney. And are part of the Hashtag 30 Right Now coalition. One of the organizing uh, conveners is Jordan Davis, a transgender resident of a single-room occupancy unit who went on hunger strike to bring attention to the issue. While we support all tenants who are living in SROs, thousands of people of color, especially black uh, immigrants, families, seniors, veterans, and disabled people have been struggling for years to pay exorbitant rents for such small and sometimes toxic spaces. Noted the coalition in a post on medium. Many are getting by on a meager SSI, social security, or GA check. And now with COVID-19, we are trying to shelter in place and stay safe while sharing bathrooms and common spaces. And so there's more information here. I'll also, uh, share this on our webpage. And I'm just going to go through all these other headlines. It's a lot. And, uh, if you'd like to read up on them, please do. Congress is deadlocked on COVID relief, but came together to fund Pentagon, fund the Pentagon for 740 billion dollars. Fuck them. That's all I got to say about that. This is an article from In These Times, and uh, written by Sarah Lazar, and it came out on December 3rd. And under under the headline is "There is always money for war." That's uh, unfortunately true. Next up, under CARES Act, these moms should be home. They remain in COVID-filled prisons. This is from truthout.org. And they have a photo at the top of the article and a car that says free her on it in tape. uh, Or tape says free her is written out on the side of the car. And the caption is prison staff block the entrances as a drive-by rally organized by Families for Justice as healing uh, moves around MCI Framingham a women's prison hit hard by the coronavirus in Framingham, Massachusetts on May 3rd, 2020. This article is written by Victoria Law. came out December 3rd. <sighs> There's a lot of information there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And what? I feel like there was another article I wanted to share, at least the headline of. About the Congress being assholes. All right, also from In These Times, healthcare workers are organizing like their lives depend on it. Faced with ongoing PPE shortages and employer obfuscation about deadly outbreaks, more hospital staff are seeing on-the-job solidarity as essential work. This is by Alice Herman and was published on December 1st. And we'll also show this on our webpage. All right, I feel like I'm about to tap out. There's just a lot. There's a lot. So I'm going to play some music. Again, please do check out... Our webpage weeklyrev.org I share the articles that I've gone over on the show so you can read them and share them. You can also follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R I share articles that there as well often mostly retweeting and also please support Mutant the Radio. We are here in the Mission District and um, if you're interested in doing a show here of your own, renting the space here, you can do so. There are definitely spots available and also there's a uh, you can Venmo Mutant Radio to help support. We pay dues, and that's how the station stays open. Uh, you can also support the show in particular. I'd greatly appreciate it. We have a Patreon up on our site. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Help pay for the dues, and then keep the website going. I would really, really appreciate it. And thanks to all the folks who do donate on a monthly basis. Really appreciate it. Cool. All right. Well, I'm just tapped out. I'm going to play some more music. And also, on the website, what we we will. I will share a uh, link to the playlist here that we've been playing. There we go. Cool. All right. We'll be back uh, next week. Have a great week, everyone.
4: I'm not afraid of
9: As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, it involves pre recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us.
10: Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy
8: Bob That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop, Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius.
10: Yahoo! Hey, you, poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. We also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutant Radio's AltaCast every Wednesday at High Noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it and don't let poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com.
5: I'm Michael Spiegelman.
10: at 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy. Every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio.
5: The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine, orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July, magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky, volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh grey snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terrorist regimes like Iceland. Chile, and the Philippines. Vote for my opponent who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Hoy on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor.
10: Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com. At 20th and Mission, check them out at SkinOnSkins.com.
9: L-S-D, Fap, acid and fapping, fapping and acid, acid and fapping, fapping and acid, fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping.
4: What
10: is...